So it's great from the noise around the room, there's obviously somebody that has impacted most of us at some point or other in our lives. And I've got to say that there have been many people, a whole raft of people that have influenced me over the years, have been a really positive influence. You know, my dad, he's a pretty great guy. Uh, my first boss, he helped me to shape my ability to think clearly. I've told some of you this before, but he used to find me every time I made a presumptuous statement, which was quite a lot. And uh, it really helped me to focus my mind and start to think more clearly. And Jonathan Bell, as well, at my last church, had an incredible influence on me, developing character, teaching him about the importance of good biblical teaching, that sort of thing. These people influence our lives in an amazing way. And I want to encourage you uh, to, to expect God to bring people into your life that will continue to have a positive impact on you. I've found over the years that at particular times of development or when I need to stretch or grow, God has just sent the right person at the right time or even the right book at the right time to just mentor me through that time and help me to grow in God. If your heart is to grow, then he will send these people into your lives. But the tricky bit can be when some of these people let you down. When we see, perhaps for the first time, their humanness. You know what I mean by that? Uh, when we see their humanness, it can be very disillusioning, which is why they say that we should never get to meet our heroes. You know, these, these people that have had such an impact, and then we hear stories later on of things that have happened in their life, and it can be very disillusioning. But as we saw last time, God uses willing but imperfect people to build the church. So we are going to experience some of that disappointment at times. Not only is God willing to use those people, but it's his delight to use people. And I still don't really understand why he does that. Why does God use imperfect people? Well, I guess it's probably because he wouldn't have a lot of choice if he was just looking for perfect people. Don't look here. Uh, but that is part of God's heart. And, and Paul, you see, isn't disillusioned by the fact that the people at Corinth have let him down. He's not disillusioned by that. Actually, they just need to repent and stop sinning. And he models this for us in an amazing way throughout the whole of the book of 1 Corinthians, where he just honors them and speaks highly of them all the way through, and yet at the same time brings them to that place where they need to get right with God. And so the bigger problem it seems that we saw in Corinth isn't so much that people let you down, but it's that people think too highly of others. That sounds a bit bizarre, doesn't it? How can you think too highly of somebody? But people in the church there was gaining sort of idolatrous status. They were thought so highly, it was almost like they couldn't sin or do anything wrong. They were being so exalted and lifted up. And people were putting too much trust in them. They were honoring their gifts too much. And we sometimes see this, don't we, even in the church today, where we think so highly, we put them on such a pedestal. It's almost like worship. And that's something of what was going on in Corinth. And so in this next part of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
uh, Paul using himself, who's perhaps the greatest apostle, if you like. Perhaps in my thinking, anyway, he did amazing things, planted more churches than any of the others, suffered more, traveled more, all the rest. He uses himself and the other apostles' examples and tells the church the right way in which to view people and their role in building the church. And he does this against the backdrop of a much bigger view of God. See, for Paul, it's all about God. It's all about God's ability to make things grow. It's all about God's people, God's temple, and God's spirit. It's all about being focused on God's work and not on God's workers that unites us, helps us to work together and appreciate everybody's unique contribution to the building of the church. So what we're going to look at today then is what is the role of people in building the church? And to do this, Paul uses three pictures that I want to take us through today. So if you'd like to turn to your Bibles, although it will come up on the screen as well, but particularly uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to follow it through, because we're going to be in that book uh, referring to it all the way through. I'm not going to just do one reading. We're going to keep coming back to different sections, okay? Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would help us to learn today, help us to understand what you want to communicate through this passage. And Lord, I pray that at the end of this, we'd have a massive view of God, but also, Lord, that we'd have the ability to honor one another and the role that each of us play in building your church in the world today. We just pray, would you just come on us right now? Would you just help us, Lord, to catch your word in our hearts? Amen. Okay, first uh, picture that Paul uses to describe the work of the apostles and leaders in the church is that of the agricultural worker. The agricultural worker. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 9. Let's just read those two verses first of all. 5 to 9. What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. What then is Apollos, Paul says? What then is Paul? What are they? Only servants, those who carry out the commands of another. Paul tells us that they were just doing what God told them to do. He says that it was in obeying God that the Corinthians came to believe in the one who sent them. It was because they obeyed God. I mean, remember, back in Acts chapter 18, when Paul first came to Corinth, his testimony at that time, his preaching, they were totally opposed by the Jews. And he just didn't get anywhere with them, and he had to leave them, and he went out of the synagogue, and he went next door, it says. And he stayed in the house of Titus Justus, who was probably... A Roman. So he went out from the Jews and he went to the Gentiles. It's not what he intended. It's not what he thought was going to happen, but that's what happened. 
And we don't know exactly, but it, it seems that maybe Paul was a bit discouraged by that. He wasn't quite sure whether he was going to continue with it. Maybe he was about to give up. We don't know. Uh, but one night, God spoke to Paul in a vision. And he says this to him. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Very famous passage. I've got many people in this city. It's not the people you thought they were, but I've got many people for you. So it says in verse 11 of chapter, of Acts chapter 18 that Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching the word of God to them. That's why he stayed. That's why Paul was there. God told him to be there. God told him to stay, told him to work things through. I've got many people. And so Paul says, don't think anything of me. I only stayed because God told me to. Don't think anything of me. And it's the reason, you know, why many of us stay when things get difficult, isn't it? It's the reason why we don't give up. It's the reason why we do certain things is because we know God has told us to do it. We know that he's spoken to us to do that, to start that business. He's spoken to us to go to that place, to live in that place. And because of that, we stay. And others say, look, why are you staying? It's ridiculous. It's not going to work out. I've got to stay because God's told me to. And I wonder what it is that keeps you I wonder if you're aware of that. You know, we're servants of his. He gives us our orders. And and to each one, he gives us a task to perform. That's what Paul says in this passage, that God has commanded commanded him to do it and gave him this task to perform. I mean, I wonder what your task is at the moment. You know, what is he asking you to perform? You know, for Paul, I guess it must have been really hard to have been rejected by the Jews. He wanted to give up, perhaps. But what is it that you need to hold on for? You know, I wonder if Paul expected the church to be full of Gentiles like it was in the end. I think he had a completely different plan. What if he'd given up? And you know, often the task that God gives us isn't exciting. Now, Paul describes the process of planting the church as planting seed in a field. That was his task. Apollos, well, he watered the seed. He watered the plant, sorry, and the seed. Planting and watering, planting and watering. That's all it was. That was the task that God had given them. And you know, it doesn't require any particular skill or intellect. The kind of work that would have been carried out uh, in planting and watering would have been carried out by some of the most unskilled, lowest paid manual workers. It wasn't a particularly clever job. There was no greatness or glory there. And sometimes we can have such glamorous ideas, can't we, of what it means to plant a church. We can get very excited about that idea what that might mean, or to water it perhaps. We get some fantastic ideas about amazing ministries that God's going to give us. Or maybe leadership, we can get really excited about that. Yeah, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to get really ambitious about that. And these things are good. (laughs) 
And they're, they're wonderful because if we didn't have those desires, we'd never do anything unless God has put them in there because he tests those callings. But very often, building the church is very hard work and it's not glamorous at all. It's really hard work. It's often digging in a field. It's, it's often watering something that doesn't seem to want to grow. It's feeling exposed and vulnerable to the elements. It's being tired. It's being discouraged. Even perhaps a little bit pecked at the time, at times by the birds trying to get the seed. You feel a bit pecked. And the field, of course, represents the people themselves working in the field amongst the people. And this field where Paul and Apollos have been working for God, who owns the field, makes what they plant and water grow. So he says, look, that's your role. You're just planting seed and you're watering it. But it's God's field, you're obeying God, and he's the one, ultimately, that makes it grow. And this is a picture which any farmer would understand. I mean, their own contribution to a successful harvest in any given year is minimal when you compare it to the miracle of nature, which that farmer is completely at the mercy of, just sowing that little seed in the ground. Almost in faith, you sow the seed into the ground. And then it's up to, it's up to the magic. The magic of putting a seed in the ground and seeing it grow. God makes it grow. There can't be any other explanation. The magic of the seed, the water, the ground, the seasons all year round contribute to the harvest. And so the perspective of our role is the farmer's role against God's. The farmer's role is important, but it's very small. And this is the scale I think Paul wants us to see when it comes to our role in building the church. The part that we play, the vulnerability we feel, the dependence we must have on God. But God, but God makes it grow. This church is God's building. The part that we play is to work in the field that he gives us to work in and to do the task that he's called us to do in the field. The field. Is this your field? Is this where God's put you? This is your field. What's the task that God has given you to do in this field? What is that task? You know, for some, it involves planting seed. For others, it's some watering of what others have sown. You know, doing kids' work is a task in the field, for example. And that's a planting work, actually. You're planting seed in the lives of these children who we hope will come to know God and, and grow up and carry on to lead the church into all that God has for the future. They're our investment. It's planting the seed. Others will come in and water that seed. You know, New Day is kind of a, a watering experience. It's ty- kind of where God makes things grow. We start to reap a bit of a harvest, but because of the work that's gone on at home and has gone on in the kids' work, planting and watering, God makes it grow. You know, even things like welcoming people, giving them a good welcome, that's water, that's planting. And it's possibly watering as well if they come back. 
These things that we do, there's a, there's a context for it. Working in God's field, doing the task that God has given you to get, to, to perform. Whatever it is that God gives us to do, He makes it grow. Working together in those things, we bring in a harvest for His glory. So that's the first picture that Paul gives us, the one of the agricultural worker. The second one is the picture of the construction worker. Second picture of apostles and leaders' roles in the church. So this is verse 10 to 15. I'm going to read that to you now. Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has, if what he's built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So here Paul, he's been talking about being the ag- agricultural worker and no particular skill required kind of thing. But here he's talking about some expertise on his part. He's the expert builder. He, and that isn't the builder in the sense of putting bricks on walls or digging footing so much. The word there is actually the word that's used for an architect. Uh, so it's like an architect or a planner. An expert is the word wisdom, actually. And there's been a lot of talk about wisdom in these few passages. So he's talking about the wisdom that he's received from God and his understanding of this one true foundation for every local church, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so Paul is talking about his own unique contribution to the body of Christ. He says, the grace God has given me. He says, this is the grace that God has given me. It's a gift that he has received from God. The architect's plans that God has given him, the the blueprints that he has been given by revelation of God for the church of Jesus Christ. And these blueprints are not only for the church at Corinth, but they're also for us. So what we have recorded in the pages of the New Testament are the blueprints as God has given them to Paul architect's plans. This has already been done. These things have been set out. So we're at this other stage, which is now others are building on it. He talks about that. Others are building on it. So we need to be careful what we build. We need to be careful uh, how we build, sorry. We need to be careful, firstly, that we uh, build on the right foundations that the foundation is clear. You can't build on any other foundation other than the, or any other revelation or wisdom or any other good ideas for a church or any other kind of, this seems like fun. You can only build on Jesus Christ and him crucified. The cross has got to be central to the church. It's got to be central to all that we do. You know, people can have all sorts of ideas for starting churches, I guess, 
or they can be maintained as churches for many years and actually lost that central importance. Churches can just be kept going as some kind of social club or some kind of, um, you know, tradition. But that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's about the gospel being central to all that we do. So we have to build on the same, on the same fundamental foundation and we have to keep building on that. If we start to deviate off it, it's no longer a church. And secondly, we need to be careful what materials we build with. There are two types of materials, gold, silver, costly stones. Well, those are the kind of materials you use in a permanent building. Uh, a kind of permanent building used for important places like temples or palaces. That's what they would have used those kinds of stones for. Or you could build with wood, hay or straw, which is the kind of buildings that people would have used for a temporary structure or would have even used for building their own houses. They wouldn't have used those kind of materials in a temple or something that is meant to be a focal point for people to gather around. And you know, there seems to be a choice. When it comes to building the church, there seems to be a choice. And the choice is this, are we going to build with something that lasts, or are we going to build something that's temporary? Are we going to build something that costs us something, or are we going to build something that we'll make do with? Are we going for quality and beauty, or an edifice that's more like something from the 1960s? Guys, there are some churches around that are like that. There seems to be this choice. So what are we going to do? What's the choice? And before we answer, we need to understand that the owner of the house has some warnings for us to consider. The one who's instructed the building of this house has given some warnings. He says this this work is going to be tested. And it's going to be tested with fire. And any inferior materials that have been used, if they're not fireproof, will be burnt up. And these unscrupulous builders, they will escape punishment by the skin of their teeth. Or maybe the more accurate picture there is out of the flames of a house fire. It's not a very pleasant idea, is it? So there are some consequences for not building with the right materials. And you see, at this point, Paul pans back to show us what God has been building in the field. You see, the leaders are no longer the focus at this point in the passage, but now we see the rest of the church. The building that God is growing, that he's been growing, is you. It's me. It's us. It's the church. That's what he's been building. That's what this has been about. So in answering the question, what materials are you using? Well, we look to every member of the church and their unique contribution. What part have you played? You know, have you committed to the task that God has given you? What is your attitude to the building of the church? What kind of quality are you as a building material in the church? Because what we're building is this third picture now that I want to take you to that Paul uses. Because what we're building is God's sacred temple, his dwelling place. So this is 
The third picture that Paul uses in the passage, and it describes the role that people play in building the church. Let's just read that in 1 Corinthians. We're going to do it in two sections. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17 first. So let's just start there. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. And just to explain the word you throughout there is plural. So it's not talking about you as an individual being indwelt by the Spirit. That comes a bit later in the book, actually. But at this point, Paul is only talking about you as a collective word. You, together, we, are the place where God dwells. That's the temple of God. Look what God's building. That's what Paul is trying to say. He said, look what he's building here. Look what's happening. This little insignificant work that you're doing, look what it's leading to. I mean, it can be difficult to see sometimes when it feels like all we're doing is sowing seed in a dusty field. Sometimes it can feel like that. And sometimes it can feel like I'm watering, but everything I water turns to mud. It's got no substance. It's got nothing happening here. There's nothing appearing above the surface. It's hard work. And sometimes when we look at these blueprints, we look at them and and it should be clear, but it's not. We don't quite get it. We don't quite see the whole picture. We don't quite see where it fits into God's big plan. And sometimes it's difficult to get this big picture. And it can be difficult sometimes to see the little insignificant part that each of us play. Now, we don't see what the work, the task that we do contributes to that big thing, this sacred, holy temple, a dwelling place of God. And yet, that's that's what Paul's saying. He says, you've got to see it. He says, you are part of this bigger thing. You're part of this temple. This is your new corporate identity. Together, you are the dwelling place of God on earth. Each of these blocks, each of you blocks, are these precious stones. Each one of us. And that unique contribution that the people of God are making the world over and throughout all time, working hard under the direction of God in the field, following the same blueprints that the Bible has laid down, this is the building of the temple of God. And there can't be any wood, there can't be any hay or straw. Why? Because God isn't building something that's temporary. God is building something that will outlast eternity, or last through eternity more accurately. You can't outlast eternity, can you? It's a permanent dwelling place. God will permanently be with his people. It's a beautiful temple shining with the glory of God. So can you see what God is building? Can you see how the small part that you play adds to this? Can you see what we're working in and working on for this small part of the church here in Sully Hall? And I've got to say, it's not always easy to see. Sometimes, especially when you look around at holiday time, and there's hardly anybody here, you kind of think, oh, what am I doing? It's not always easy to see, but God's plans 
are being worked out through the church. All we do is plant and water, he grows it. All we do is follow the blueprints that he's laid down, he will build it. Plant and water, he grows it. (laughs) Follow the plans, he builds it. It's wonderful. Wonderful partnering with God. And yes, it sounds simplistic. (laughs) It sounds even naive and even childlike. I was reading the story of uh, the vineyard movement recently. Fantastic book. I must recommend it to you. Can't remember the title. The Battle for the Radical Middle. Yeah, that's where I stole that phrase from that I used a little while ago. And uh, they talk, he talks there about this, this pastor who just had this conviction about if I preach the word of God faithfully, God will build the church. And everybody would scoff him and say, that's silly, you've got to have all these plans and all these strategies, all these great ideas, the latest thing. And he says, I'm sorry, but that's what God's given me. He grew one of the biggest churches in America. More people were saved there with this obedient pastor teacher, not even an evangelist. And God sent him hippies from all over the place. And they got saved and added to the church. You plant, you water, he'll grow. You follow the plan and he'll build. Praise God. It sounds simplistic and naive, but this is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. Let's just read the next bit of the passage, verse 18. And Paul says this. He says, don't deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Don't deceive yourselves, Paul says. He says, don't make this all about the leaders. Don't make this all about celebrity preachers, gifted individuals or more gifted individuals or the clever ideas of men, but get a big view of what God is doing and play your part. That's the wisdom of God. That's the simplicity of building the church. Get a big view of God and what he's doing and play your part. No more boasting about men, he says, about gifts or leaders, apostles or even super apostles. I don't think we've got that problem here, actually. I don't think we're into that. (laughs) I'm not preaching this for that reason. But I want us to see the importance of building the church being about every member playing their part. It's not all about the leaders or lack of leaders or good leaders or bad leaders in that sense. It's all about what God is doing and every member playing their part, however small or insignificant this seems. You know, sometimes you can feel so insignificant with the task that you're doing when you're the only one here on the setup team and nobody else has turned up and you're doing it completely solo. It can feel incredibly insignificant. It's not. 
This is the big picture of what God is doing. It doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter if you're Paul or Apollos or Peter or one of the elders or one of the apostles. It doesn't matter. It's all yours, Paul says. We all have a vested interest because, you see, the church is one great cooperative of the people of God working together under the direction of the Holy Spirit. God has gifted and called every one of us to have a part in this great temple that he's building. I wonder where your stone is in the building. (laughs) You know, today I just believe that God wants to encourage us. He wants to encourage all of us who are serving in this field here in Solihull. I think he wants us just to pause for a moment and and just get that bigger picture and go, wow, look what we're part of. Look what God's doing. Look what I'm a part of. Look how God's using me. I never realized how important it was just to turn up and do that, just to pray in the meeting. It's all part of playing our part. It's not about people, but it's all about people. And it's all about what God is doing with people. Every one of us. And you know, as I look around this church, and I I did this kind of spiritually, if you like, and there's lots of people not here today, but as I looked around in the spirit, this is what I saw for our church Because as I look around the church, God's field in Solihull, I see some growing that's been going on. I'm not just talking about numerical growth. There's growth in individuals. I've seen people grow this year. I've grown this year. Many people have grown in their walk with God this year. That's wonderful. Isn't that exciting? I've seen people grow. And there's been some planting planting and watering, but God is working. I see that as I look around. I can see God working. Things getting sorted out. God putting his finger on things. God building people up. He's doing it. And he's building us into this church that he's called us to be. And honestly, I think I've probably said this before, but I'll keep saying it. You know, Steve and I as elders, he would say the same, we feel like we're just watching what God is doing. Honestly, that's how we feel in leading the church. We work hard and do our thing, but we just feel like God's doing it. And as I look around, I see some precious stones being fitted together. And I see the glory of God beginning to shine through from people's lives. I can see colors and reflections of God in this place. I see the past, present, and futures of many people in this community being changed because of it, because of these precious stones where the light of the glory of God is shining out from. I see life and death transactions taking place because of what God is doing through us. People coming to faith, finding Jesus because of us insignificant lot. And it's all about each of us having a piece of it 
Each of us having a task to do in this field where God is working and building. It's all about being focused on God's work and not on God's workers that unites us and helps us to work together and appreciate each one's unique contributions to the building of the church. And I started today by asking about significant people in your lives. Who are some of those significant people? Just think about them for a moment again. Because I believe that God is saying to many of us in this room that you are to be a significant person to somebody else. That we are to have significant contributions individually and also as a church in the lives of many other people. Because God uses willing people, not perfect people. Amen. Let's just stand and thank God, shall we? Lord, we just want to pause and look in awe at you and what you're doing. Lord, so often we feel like we're just the children watching Daddy at work in the workshop and we want to hold the hammer. And Lord, you don't need our contribution at all. We're not skilled. Lord Jesus, you're the expert. But Lord, you use us and you involve us in your work and we're just so privileged. But Lord, that is not a kind of mock humility, a kind of I'm nothing, because actually you use us, you really use us, you've gifted us, you've called us, you've commissioned us, and Lord, you want us to be significant people in your kingdom for your glory, and I pray, Lord, that you'd give us significance. Would you give us significance in the lives of one another, and significance in the eyes of people in this town? in this region and beyond. I pray, Lord, that you'd send many people from here to be significant builders of your kingdom in many places. Lord, thank you for just coming and encouraging us today. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be an encouragement to others too, because, Lord, we've been encouraged by you. And Lord, I pray you'd encourage us in some of the tasks that we're doing. just want to pray for people who are involved in kids' work, and now that's really hard sometimes. I just pray, Lord, for a fresh anointing on each of them, a fresh vision of what you're doing in this. Pray for those who are involved in set-up and another work that goes on just behind the scenes, Lord. I just pray, Lord, for a a fresh sense of commissioning, a, a fresh vision of what you're doing here, Lord, and what that contribution adds up to. We pray, Lord, for those that lead us as well. We just pray for encouragement. Lord, we know it's hard planting and watering and seems so mundane. We just pray, Lord, for a fresh wind of hope to blow across each one of us. And we do pray for that growth. We pray for the building of God in these days. Do something amazing, Lord. We will just praise you and celebrate with you. And we will thank you for eternity for involving us in it. So, Lord, we just give you glory. Say, have your way. This is your church. Build your church, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen.